Welcome to the Cocktail Conversations. I'm Michelle Mitchell. So you might have heard that COVID is on the rise again. You know, the virus that's been driving this country to record-setting alcohol consumption this year. Who needs more beer? Well, get a refill. Because we're in, like, the 18th inning of a Game 7 World Series. And who better to talk about how to close than Murderer's Row? I was definitely flattered to be on Murderer's Row. I thought, who do you have to kill to be on Michelle's show? And I won't tell you where the bodies are buried. Well, that's what I get for inviting badass lawyers on the show. They've been so busy making history, they don't even know they're the human rights equivalent of the 1927 Yankees. But instead of Ruth, Garrig, and Lazeri, we've got Dara Shorey. Sellers. And Pruitt. Patty, Ali Crochet, that was a huge deal. I hope his boss, Al Bashir, walks in afterwards. That's Patricia Sellers. She's the gender consultant at the International Criminal Court. She was also the officiant at my wedding because nobody scares me like she does. Yeah, they're married. I'm the one who married them. I seem to remember having a good rosé. That's Sarah Dara Shorey, and it was really good rosé. She's a human rights lawyer based in New York, specializing in sexual misconduct issues. I love that Sarah is always so strategic. Given that I am now a professional feminist, my high school sport was cheerleading. (laughs) (laughs) Together, they won the first ever case that made rape an international crime of war. And I co-directed a film about it. So I guess you could say, we're pretty good old pals. Get it? This also happens to be what we're drinking this week. A whiskey-based Negroni from the 1920s named for an American sports editor in Paris. A sports editor, gosh. (laughs) That is some serious white girl shit. Hey, I'm a sister from Philadelphia. That's so dope, I love it. (laughs) That's Yasmin Morris. She's the rookie in the lineup. She's based in Los Angeles and works in the film industry. It feels so absurd. (laughs) It's like triple, quadruple overtime, and I'm here to witness it, like, yay. (laughs) We're nearly a year now into the virus changing things in ways that we're just beginning to understand, not only in terms of the value gap, but for all of us. I wanted to do this episode because all of it has reminded me a lot of the times that I've spent in refugee camps around the world, no matter where they were. They all shared that same bleak isolation and confusion we're feeling now. And this group of old pals, they've all been there too. I asked Patricia to kick things off. I think we all understand that we almost feel like, you know, we're in a vortex somewhere. And we don't know how we're going to come out on the other end. And there's some, I think, moments in history and there's some places in the world. I mean, one place is, you know, Varanasi in India. That if you've ever gone there, you just realize that you're, you're standing on something that's earthly and not earthly at the same time and you could just disappear or be recreated in a flash of light and I think that's happening with us. When it all started I'm kind of introverted so I like spending time with myself. I feel like I'm more productive when I'm by myself but now I can't feel that separation of work and my home. It just feels like it's all bleeding into one and it's a little scary our language fails us for what we're what we're living through what we're witnessing almost like seeing a new color 
that we don't have a name for yet or a note that we haven't put in one of our scales. Patty's metaphor of it's a new color or a new note on the scale. I'm in the vortex right now. When Lisa said this, I had to put down my glass because it didn't occur to me until that moment. That might be why it seems so hard to breathe right now. A vortex sucks it away, along with the things we used to know, like what and who we valued. When we found out that COVID was going to happen, no one ran out to buy the last designer dress. You know, everyone got toilet paper, right? Or uh, hand wipes <laughs> or something like that. One of my fears and I guess observations is that being in the midst of this pandemic and taking on a scarcity mentality, even those of mm -hmm. us who really aren't you know, living with any material disadvantage yet, right? There's a scarcity mentality that takes hold. And I think mm. it causes people to kind of circle the wagons. And often the wagon that's being circled is just the family, for example. My son just turned 16. And one of my thoughts is that parenting creates perverse incentives, right? You've brought this being into the world and you want to protect this human being at all costs. And then the more unstable the world becomes, the more the incentive to hoard resources that you can use to protect your child. As Patty said, we're living in a vortex. We don't know how we're going to emerge. It seems to me that the incentives are to hunker down with your unit, whatever your unit is. Mm -hmm. um, maybe it's a family unit. You know, maybe it's an extended family. Maybe it's, you know, people who look like you. And this brings up an important point. The people who are mostly women and women of color in particular who can't be isolated. I've heard so much COVID saying you see women are essential workers or those women who were at the margins are now brought in. But I mean, I think we have to start reproducing this discussion that women are at the margins. Care workers, people who work in our you know, neighborhood grocery stores, that's not the margins, that's the center. In March, we were all raving about essential workers. And then by the end of April, we'd already once we had our stocks of toilet paper, we'd already forgotten them. If I can just add to that, Lisa, if we would take the analysis deeper, the reason that they're essential is that, in quote, society needs them. I think that society has this image of itself kind of like upstairs, downstairs, you know? Mm -hmm. And when society's doing well, they're supposed to be downstairs, which is out of sight, and they're really not worth it. And we have so many ways to justify underpayment. And this was downstairs until you understood that the house, the foundations don't exist Mm -hmm. if downstairs isn't functioning. The situation has been greatly exacerbated by the fact that the women who are the essential core are now also responsible for family care and child care. I talk and write a lot about class. So I've been noticing what's happening as the job markets start mm. to um, stabilize would be the wrong word, but who's not getting their jobs back by and large, it's women and people of color. This uh, pandemic has thrown existing inequalities ar around race and gender into sharp relief. I've been really humbled. Get ready. This is where you find out I don't have kids. I mean, I have a cat, but... I've heard for a long time women's work, unpaid work, and I didn't really appreciate what that meant until women had to leave their jobs and we're talking about it publicly because somebody has to sit next to the kid at the computer when they're getting their lessons. So many women are having to 
basically abandon their jobs or go part-time to deal with homeschooling, to deal with looking after young children. I find this to be remarkable. I would never have expected, but I guess the fundamentals were always there. The fundamentals were there, but it is kind of amazing, right, to have it stripped so bare. The long-term economic and career consequences, it's going to be horrible. And so we need to be attuned to that. And experts say we won't know those economic consequences for at least a decade. So, look, we know it's an issue. We know it's also a value gap issue. But filling the gap or bridging it, well... Sarah, what you often see is... In businesses, we care about diversity and inclusion, and therefore, let's let the women and black people deal with it. It should be the, the white men who are responsible for dealing with it. They should be invested in it, too. And that's it's actually absolutely necessary for change. Why are we putting women and black people on the diversity committee? Let's let's put the vice up- president for diversity. I know. <laughs> right. <laughs> Everyone you know. gets that job, right? <laughs> Even at my company, I took on the responsibility to have these conversations post protests and everything. I really, really think it's just absolutely essential that it be seen as something that impact all of our humanity. And uh, it needs to be talked about in that way, too. I definitely feel and have for a long time. It shouldn't just be left to women. Women in corporations are expected to mentor, but like humans in general, some women are assholes and they don't want to do that. <laughs> they don't want to have to be the mentor for every woman in you know their industry because they also happen to be a woman. Okay, this is where we all had another round of old pals because we're not going to escape the virus not yet so how do we game it out so that we move forward and not back yasmin you really have to be intentional about how you're using your time you did a photo shoot by yourself yeah i did a like self-portrait series setting up the camera and there was nobody around because covid it wasn't instagrammable (laughs) <laughs> but why a self-portrait series? I think it was trying to have some control. And none of this is really in my control. What are ways in which you can look to the future with this third wave coming? And this is where Yasmin brought up something that had been frustrating her since the first pandemic pause. I don't have all the power in the world, but the little power that I do have, how can I utilize it and make sure that I am making a difference in some way? I think the media has has a way of articulating certain stereotypes and biases when it comes to how we portray women and women of color. I'm kind of on a tangent now. Reality television is built on drama of like women putting each other down. And I've been a supporter of these shows like Bad Girls Club. I feel bad even admitting it. I used to love Bad Girls Club. Now it's like, I just like, I feel so conflicted. People, mostly men, are making a lot of money off of women throwing drinks and being really cruel to each other. How can I change the conversations so Mm -hmm. there is less of that? There is something that I've brought from my experience during this COVID. And Sarah, you might not have had the same thing because in Rwanda, you didn't have detention centers. But Yugoslavia, you had, you know, systems of detention centers. And one thing I learned from victims who had been detained in detention centers is for the first week or two, you just you just can't believe this is happening. You just can't believe that you no longer are in your house and that half your village is dead and that you're sitting in, the, in this detention center. The reality has switched so suddenly that it's the reality becomes unreal. And then they would talk about that second phase when they're trying to let this reality seep in and, and how did they react in week three, four, and five. 
this kind of listlessness would set in, this lassitude, this like, you, you didn't know whether you were tired or whether you were sleeping. And it was almost the, the crush and the mental realization that, yes, this really has happened. And then they would talk about this other phase where they would realize this is still my life. This isn't my death. I might die tomorrow. But right now, this is still my life. And then some would try and find a purpose of this part of their life. you got to find a purpose in your life, although this isn't the part of your life that you thought would ever happen. Lisa, you look like you were taking notes. When Patty speaks, I always take notes. <laughs> <laughs> For a minute, I thought we were going to have a real housewives discussion. And I was like, oh, this would have been fun to prepare for. I could have had an excuse to binge watch truly awful television. But um, maybe we have to do that another time. And that would definitely require more than one old pal, I think. We would need like a, like a vat. I'd have to be shipping you guys all a vat. I tried making it and I still don't get it. <laughs> If you'd like to see Patricia, Sarah, and Lisa in The Uncondemned, you can find it on Amazon and on iTunes. And hop on Instagram and let us know how your old pals turned out. You had to have done better than Yasmin. Meanwhile, you may have heard me say that it's not about the glass ceiling, it's about the foundation, and wondered, okay, what exactly is the foundation? You're going to find out next week. And we also reveal why the anger industrial complex is not going to survive. No, it's no match for my optimism. You can find out more about the old pal we drank on this episode via our Instagram at The Cocktail Conversations and our website, thecocktailconversations.com. You can also find out more about our guests and who made this episode on our website. Want more conversation? Join the club, the Old Pal Club. That's where your tax-deductible contribution gets you private access to special interviews, extras, events, and more. You can become an Old Pal, not the cocktail, via our website and our Instagram.